sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love your Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. I thank you for those who have showed tonight, Lord. And I am thankful, truly thankful, that you have illuminated our understanding to your word. And we pray for more illumination, for more light from the word of God. It's your word that we live by. It's your word that gives us life. It's your word that creates in us new life and builds us, O oh Lord, and makes us in your image, God. And we want to thank you for your word, and we want to Believe your word. We want to receive your word, O oh God, with gladness that we might bring forth fruit in the name of Jesus. Well, we are in Matthew part 8, and when we were last together, we finished the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, and we now come to chapter 6, uh, where Jesus continues what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 1, the Lord says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go in your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, notice here that Jesus assumes we will have charitable deeds. Uh, Christians feed the poor. Uh, they give to those who are in need. And he also assumes that we will pray. And he tells us how to do and how not to do charitable deeds and in what manner we should and should not pray. And he describes the hypocrites of his time. And they sounded a trumpet to get attention uh, from others so that all could see their good deeds and they might receive praise of men. Now, if they desired and loved the praise of men and did charitable deeds to receive the praise of men, who were they trying to please with the good deeds that they did? Were they trying to please God or were they trying to please themselves? All right, the answer is they were trying to please themselves. And the deed may have been a good deed. Uh, the, they may have given money or food to someone who needed 
money, or food, but the motive of their hearts dictated what their reward would be. This is all about the motivation of the heart. Jesus said that if we do charitable deeds, give money to the poor, or provide sustenance to the hungry, that we do it in secret. Don't let anyone know. He used the hyperbole here, and once again he uses hyperbole. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And this means to keep things between you and the Lord. And you might even keep it a secret from the person you're helping. He might just get a gift, you know, anonymously in the mail. You, um, and if you do this, you will not receive thanks from men. You will not receive praise from men. People will not be talking about your great generosity, your philanthropy, because no one but you and God will know about it. And this only matters, and see, this is really the crux of it. This only matters if you truly believe in God. And you truly understand that God, the judge of all, is truly watching us. And he will reward you openly what you, for what you do in secret. This type of giving is based on faith. See, and that's what everything is really based upon. It's based upon faith. It is not based on the desire to be seen and applauded by others. It is based on faith in God. It is faith, and as Paul said in Galatians 5, 6, it is faith working through love. We give because we believe in God. We love God, and we love our neighbor. And it comes down to this. If there is no God, there is no reward. That's how we should live our lives. If there is no God, there is no reward. But if God is real, then there is an eternal reward in heaven. We should do good works, charitable deeds, as we should do everything in our lives as Christians by faith working through love. And I mean everything. Everything that a Christian does should be by faith working through love. Jesus used the same standard for prayer as he did for charitable deeds. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The hypocrites prayed. They regularly prayed. They loudly prayed. They openly prayed. They were religious about it. And everyone knew it. Uh, in fact, the, the more words, the more repetitious, the more eloquent, the louder, the better. Why? Because it provided an opportunity for others to see them, to hear them. Because if they were not seen and heard praying, they would not receive praise from Men. That was their purpose. They wanted people to talk about what they were doing. Did you see Brother Hippocrates over there in the marketplace? He was praying such an eloquent prayer. He is such a good and righteous people, such a holy man. Glory to his name. And Brother Hypocrite, or Hippocrates, he has his reward. And that's what he set out to get. That's precisely what he received. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now this does not prevent us from uh, taking part in corporate prayer. We're going to see corporate prayer later on in the book of Acts. 
But the point Jesus is making here is once again, the most important thing is not what we do, but the motive behind what we do. Why do we do charitable deeds? Why do we pray? Once again, if we have faith, we believe God hears our prayers. And truly, it is not prayer without faith. The hypocrite's really not praying. His prayers are not prayers because there's no faith behind them. Hebrews 11:6, the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, wrote, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord will reward you openly for what you do and what you pray in secret. If we believe he hears us, it doesn't matter that others hear us. Makes no difference. They do not answer our prayers, but God does. He hears us even in our secret chambers where no one else can hear us praying to him. And hearing us in secret, he rewards us openly. For truly, only prayers of faith are prayed in secret places where only God can hear. I want to say that again because someone needs to write that down. Only prayers of faith are prayed in secret places where only God can hear. If you don't believe that God's hearing, you have no reason to say a prayer in a secret place. If you only want to be seen of men, and if people talk about how holy and righteous you are, then you pray outwardly, openly, where everyone can see. But when you're praying alone, it's a prayer of faith. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of Him. Now, I have a rule for myself that I try to follow in whatever I do for the Lord, whether in preaching or teaching or whatever function God has for me in this church or his church. And that is, no matter how many people are present in the church, my audience consists of only one. Right now, I'm teaching thy word, and you are not my audience. My audience is one person. I seek to please the audience of one, even if it means a thousand others in the audience are displeased. And it's not my intent to cause others to be dis displeased, but they can never be my priority, nor should they be the priority of any teacher or preacher. In short, God is my audience of one. He's the only one right now at this moment that I care about for what I'm doing right now. And that's the truth. Uh, and if he is pleased with what I say and with what I do, then I have accomplished my purpose because that is what I'm here to do, the will of God. He is the audience when I pray and the audience in whatever ministry I minister in, the audience of one. And it has not always been that way. I have been guilty of caring about what others think. I have been guilty about wanting people, I want to get up and preach, and when I'm done preaching, I want everybody to come up and slap me on the back and tell me what a great job I did and what a move of God we had. But God forbid that that be my motivating factor. I want to talk a little bit about a man of God or God's man. And there is a difference. There's a difference between being a man of God and being God's man. There are many men of God who do the work of God and who God uses for his purposes, but that does not mean that they are totally dedicated to his glory and his will. We can serve him, but still 
desire our own exaltation, still have our own ambitions. And I believe that the apostles before the cross, as we will see as we continue in the book of Matthew, uh, before Jesus was crucified are an example of men of God versus God's men. And, for instance, they were preaching the kingdom. They were working miracles. They were walking with Jesus, and they were men of God. But at the same time, they were seeking their own ambitions. They were arguing about who was the greatest among them, who would have more power and authority. But when Jesus went to the cross, all but John forsook him. They let him suffer alone. They were men of God. They were not God's men. And because God's men go with him. God's men go with him all the way to the cross. We can be men of God and still have our own selfish ambitions. And can I tell you, that always stems from pride. And there comes a time in our walk with God where he will say, I want all of you. I want every bit of you. I want your ambitions. I want the part of you that seeks self-exaltation, that seeks to be seen as successful among your peers. I want to own all of you. I want you to be mine, not just a man of God, but God's man, God's woman. God's man is all about God. He's all about the audience of one. God's man is willing to serve God without any earthly acknowledgement or reward whatsoever. You mean, I've got to do this whole walk and do all these things that God wants me to do and no one's ever going to pat me on the back. That's right. Because you're God's man. You're God's woman. You have the audience of one. God's man is content to never see his name in lights, to never be praised among men, to live and die with no one ever knowing his name. As long as through his life, others learn the name of his master. God's man is the servant of love. And that can only happen when that man or that woman goes with Jesus to the cross and lays down their lives. At the cross, he is dead to his own self and Christ lives through him. He's content with God being his only reward. Look at the apostles before the cross. They were men of God. But look at them after the cross. They were willing, every one of them but John, to be martyred. And they did it rejoicing because no longer were they just men of God. They had become God's man. Amen. And now we come to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I love that amen. You know, my, my favorite little phrase in Hebrew is Jesus says it all the time, where you say, verily, verily, I say unto you. In Hebrew, it's um, amen, amen, ani omer lechem. And I just go around sometimes around the house going, amen, amen, ani omer lechem. Because <laughs> uh, I know the Lord said it. 
By the way, I, I believe he spoke Hebrew, not Aramaic, but we'll get into that some other time. Uh, but he begins, so this is often called the Lord's Prayer, and this is the guideline Jesus gives us in which uh, we should guide our prayers. He begins with the words, Our Father in heaven. So if God is our Father, then we are sons or children of God. And we therefore have authority because of our relationship to Him. We have a right to come before Him and to ask of Him. He is our Father. And as we examine the life of Jesus as depicted in the Gospels, we see that His authority, His works, His miracles, His prayers being answered were all based on the fact that God was His Father. He said in John chapter 5, verse 19, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does also in like manner. So if God is our Father, we do his works, just like Jesus did. We act like his children because as his children, we resemble him. Just as a child, after the flesh resembles his Father, we resemble our spiritual Father, the Heavenly Father. And he goes on to say, and yes, Jesus is God. Don't, don't uh, jump on these little things and say, well, what do you mean Jesus is God? And this, Well, this is a, Jesus is God, but Jesus is a man. And we have to understand that as a man, Jesus is our brother. He is our elder brother. That's what the Bible says about him. He is a man, the son of man. He calls himself that title more than any other title. But he is also God manifested in the flesh. He's not God disguised in the flesh. I'm going to give you, for, for an example, the Bible says that the devil, Satan, masquerades as an angel of light. But that doesn't make him an angel of light. But Jesus wasn't masquerading as a man. Jesus was a man. And that man had God as his father. And he showed us how to walk as Christians by being the first Christian, the first anointed, the Christ himself. So that's where we're at. He says, hallowed be your name. Not hallowed be our name, but his name. We revere, honor, bless, and promote his name. And we recognize that he and all that he is. And that's the true meaning of name in the Bible. It's the essence of a person. It's all that he is. God was called in the Hebrew very often Hashem, which simply means the name. And it means all that he is, all the essence of his person. And that is holy, sacred, honored, set apart, special. And we never use his name in emptiness but in reverence. He says, your kingdom come. And remember the gospel Jesus preached, as we talked about before, was the coming of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is here among us. It's within us, but will come in full when Jesus comes again. There is nothing that can stop it. It was promised by God through the prophets and by the mouth of the Lord himself. And yet, even though it's coming and nothing can stop it, Jesus said we should pray for it. Okay, And this is a very important principle. Uh, we should still pray for the kingdom of God to come because Christians should and must pray for the revealed will of God. That's what we do. The most powerful prayers are the ones that are based upon his 
revealed will. We're going to see that throughout the scriptures. We saw it with Daniel when he was reading from the prophet Jeremiah and he saw that the 70th year of of, uh, Judah being in captivity was coming to an end. He went on a prayer, uh, prayer and fasting time because he saw that the will of God was ready to be fulfilled and he had to prepare his heart and seek heaven. For the to pray about the will of God. We pray the will of God. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we align ourselves and therefore our prayers with the will of God. Uh, when we pray according to his will. We can be sure our prayers will be answered. As Jesus said to pray. Your will be done on earth at, as it is in heaven. And Jesus said in John 5 and verse 30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So we should pray that his will be done on earth. Is there anything better than his will being done? Whatever his will may be, it is better than our own plan, better than our own desire, better than our own will. And sometimes our prayers sound more like my will be done rather than thy will be done. And we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we ask that we might consume it upon our own lusts. We ask out of God's will. We need to find out as Christians what the will of God is. How do we do that? By walking in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then when we know what His will is, we pray to that end. And then I guarantee you that prayer will be answered. God will answer a prayer that his will be done. But we have no guarantee that he will answer a prayer for our will to be done. So let's make sure that we're always praying in his will. And especially when God reveals his will to us, we should pray earnestly that his will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for his daily provision. Uh, We don't ask God, for instance, to... Um, to send us a millionaire. And, I mean, we we could ask him, but it's probably not going to be his will. (laughs) We don't ask God to send us a a millionaire and uh, provide for us for the rest of our lives. I mean, that would be a nice thing, and I think we would all say, yes, Lord, I'll take that prayer. But that's not what God said to do. God did not say to pray for a millionaire, it's now 2023, probably a billionaire, to provide for all of our needs. But he says that we should pray for our daily bread. So we pray for daily provision. Uh, we pray that he, he provides our, uh, for our expenses uh, day by day, our sustenance day by day. By day, And we remember how God caused manna to fall in the de- desert to sustain the children of Israel. And the manna would last only one day except for the day before Sabbath and then it would last through the Sabbath. But God provided for Israel day by day. And even when they tried to store it up, it would just turn to worms. Uh, it, it would, God said, I want to provide for you day by day. It's a day by day walk, church. Because God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to use your faith. And we find that people who are given wealth often learn to trust in the wealth and not in God. God wants us to have daily manna. He he met the uh, needs of the children of God in the wilderness and He can meet our needs today. And Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now this is a two-part prayer. 
Firstly, we have debts that we owe to God, and we need forgiveness. Often we need forgiveness even when we don't think that we need uh, forgiveness. In fact, one of the most beautiful things about coming to God is going into the presence of God. I have never yet gone into the presence of God, the real presence of God. Listen, there's an afterglow, and then there's His glory. You don't go into the glory of God without repenting. Because you understand how holy He is. And you will find yourself in a place of repentance before His presence. And we owe God. We need forgiveness. And uh, we are ama- we're made aware of our failings, our own unrighteousness, when we come before Him and we ask for forgiveness. And I don't believe we should ever pray without, without asking God to forgive our debts. And secondly... I do not believe that we have a guarantee that God will forgive us if we do not forgive others. Uh, Coming to God with an unforgiving heart is improper, and it must be repented of. How does God, uh, how does one repent from a heart of unforgiveness? If I come before God and I'm asking for my debts to be canceled, to be forgiven, my trespasses to be forgiven, and I have not forgiven my brother, I need to repent. Do you understand? And what do I need to repent from? A heart of unforgiveness. And repentance means that we put in action. We we change our, our hearts and then the change becomes an action. We have to forgive our brother. And... Uh, If we forgive others, then God will also forgive us. Jesus said again in verses 14 to 15 of Matthew 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I have heard people say that our forgiveness, they come to this scripture and they always seem to throw it out there, our forgiveness is not based on forgiving others. But let me ask you, does God forgive the unrepentant? The Bible says, no. Repent ye therefore that your sins may be blotted out. So our sins are forgiven when we repent. And once again, if we come to God with unforgiveness in our hearts, we need to repent. And repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of action. And in this case, we have been unforgiving of our brother, our neighbor, Even our enemy, we have not loved them. Now, do you see how much, once again, God cares about our relationships one to another? And if we don't love our brother, our neighbor, and even our enemy, we have no guarantee that God is going to forgive our trespasses. God will see our repentance when we repent, and he will forgive our trespasses. And I don't believe that this could be any more plain in Scripture. He carries on, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is an important part of prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for the path of temptation. Um, It usually is looking for me. But I want to be led well away out of uh, temptation and out of testing. And I wonder how many times we wander into temptations because we fail to ask God to lead us not into temptation. Honestly, when was the last time we prayed that prayer? Lead me not into temptation. And we should pray, Lord, direct my path, Lord. Keep me in your 
way. And this goes along with asking God to deliver us from the evil one. Now, some translations say deliver us from evil, but the evil one is really the best translation here. It's talking about the devil. And we should, be pray, we should pray to be delivered from Satan, from his wiles, from his tactics, his deception, and his power. And can I say that only, only by God can we be delivered from the devil. In ourselves, we are powerless. We're unequipped to stand against his wiles, his deception, his temptation. We are sheep, and the fallen spiritual entities in his kingdom are the predators. We are sheep surrounded by predators. That's a fact. We need the good shepherd to lead us to the right paths out of temptation into good pastures and to, to deliver us when the predators come around. Now, sometimes the church gets emotional, especially Pentecostals. And I've heard and even participated a few times in, let's stomp the devil, the stomp the devil services. How many have been in those? You know, that, that was big back when I was a kid. You know, I, and I've sung songs with vigor, just hallelujah, me and the devil, we had a tussle, and I won. That's not biblical. I'll never sing that song. I, I won't do it. You'll never hear me say, ah, you know, I rebuke Satan, I rebuke, you won't hear me say it. Why? Because the Bible tells me not to. See, this is why we need the word of God. And if you do that, you're, you're asking for it. Okay, the truth is none of that is scriptural. Only God can deliver us from the devil. The devil is more powerful than any one of us or all of us combined. Let's look at what Jude had to say about the subject. And this is the book of Jude. There's only one chapter beginning at verse 8. Likewise also these dreamers, and he's talking about apostates in the church. So he's talking about men who are in the church who have become apostate from the doctrine. That means they left the doctrine and they went off to other abominable doctrines. He says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority. It's an interesting word, authority, because authority is God-given. True authority is God-given. And speak evil of dignitaries, so that's people who are in power in a place of authority. Then he says, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, isn't that interesting? That What a strange comparison that Jude is making here about dignitaries and about people in authority. He actually uses Satan as a dignitary and as authority and says that Michael, who is an archangel, who is extremely powerful, would not bring against him a reviling accusation, but say, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. So we must be very careful in our dealings with all powers, with all dignitaries, with all authorities that God has in place, or has, as in this case, left in place. Uh, Satan has a kingdom, and God has allowed him to remain in place. I know this sounds strange, but this is Bible. Satan has authority, and we've already discussed the kingdoms, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. He has a kingdom, and he is the God, 
the magistrate, the dignitary of this present age, this present world. He's the prince. He's the chief authority of the air or the planet Earth, and we must understand that. He has authority. He really does. And the only one who has any power over him is God and God's authority. Now, I do not like the devil. The devil and I are enemies. He hates me and I hate him. But I respect his authority. And I understand that God is the only one who has power over him. I do not challenge him. I may challenge one of his subordinate demons, but not him directly. I leave that up to God. As Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. Because I don't have the authority to. And I think it's a bit foolish to sing about wrestling and stomping the devil. I don't see any of that in scripture. And, and, and friend, can I tell you, we need to take this seriously. We are not playing games here. This is not a show. We don't put on shows. This is real. There is a God. There is a devil. And we need to be in line with the authority that God has given us. And we need to re respect the rest of the authority out there. God has given us authority. But the authority over that one has been left in God. And the devil, as evil as he is, is still a dignitary. He still has authority and power. And it is wise to understand this. And Jude called those people who did not understand this principle brute beasts. I don't want to be a brute beast. A brute beast is entirely led by his own carnal desires, his own wants, his own foolishness. And it's unwise and dangerous to fail to understand um, that there are powers and authorities and to understand the nature of these powers and authorities that are kept in place by God. Because we're at war. And there is a way to fight the devil. And it's not by stomping him. There is a way to fight him. And one day, God is going to bring the kingdom of the devil down. The kingdom of God will replace it. And the devil hates to hear this. In fact, this right here is what the devil hates more than anything else. The preaching of the coming of the kingdom of God to end this age and replace his rule. That's why he wants to hold on to this world as much as he can. To extend his age as much as he can. Because the moment this age ends, he's no longer a little God. He's no longer a magistrate. He's brought down low. But, hallelujah. And much of that will be because of the prayers of the saints. Who will have a part in overcoming him. By the blood of the Lamb... And the word of their testimony. We are the ones who will bring that kingdom crashing down by properly assaulting the kingdom of darkness. How? With prayer. With supplication. By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of God. By, by, by moving heaven. By our prayers on earth. We'll move heaven. And heaven will cast down the kingdom of darkness. That day is coming. But until that day comes, Satan has a kingdom. And the world is part of his kingdom. Therefore, we should pray, deliver us from the evil one, because we can't do it without God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the Lord ends the prayer with this. The kingdom is God's. The power is God's. And the glory is God's forever. So we recognize him as God who is all-powerful and who has all glory and to whom all glory should go. Now, this is a way of ending prayer with a spirit of worship.
It's not my glory. It's your glory. It's not by power. It's your power. It's a spirit of worship. We should worship him and exalt him and magnify him in our hearts, our minds, our words. It should be the expression of our entire being. I have a little bit of time, and I'm going to continue with verse 16 to 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus said earlier, when you do charitable deeds, and none of us would argue that Christians are not to do good works. Uh, We also saw that Jesus said, when you pray, and hopefully none of us would argue that we should not pray. That Christians should pray. And now here Jesus said, when you fast. So we have to conclude that if Jesus expects us to do good words and uh, good good deeds and to pray, he also expects us to fast. And in the same manner that we are to do our charitable deeds and our prayers as unto God and not to receive praise of men, we ought also to fast. Now let me pose a question. Is a person much of a, of a Christian if he does not do any good deeds? No, most Christians will do good deeds, right? Because by faith, through love, they will love. And those will be manifested by good works and good deeds. And is a person much of a Christian if they don't Pray, And the answer is certainly no. So I have to submit to you that if a person does not fast, they are not doing what a Christian should be doing. Jesus expected them to fast. Now, what is the purpose of fasting? And this is a subject that is, for a large part, not talked about uh, much in the church today. But it's a very biblical subject. We do good deeds, we pray, and we should therefore fast. And there are several examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of people fasting. And I believe the biblical reason for fasting can be explained in one phrase, to humble one's self. All throughout the scripture, that's what it was. Fasting was to humble their selves. And and we can go through a Bible study on this, and this might actually be the next thy word, but none of you will show up if I tell you that now. But... um, It's to humble oneself. So the hypocrites prayed. Do you believe God answered their prayers? Did he answer the prayer of the hypocrite? No. Certainly not. And what was the main issue with the hypocrite? He wanted to exalt himself. He wanted to receive praise of men. And that can be summed up in one word which defines the issue of his heart. That word is pride. God hates Pride. James 4, 6, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the first sin in the universe was pride. And that pride of the heart, found in the heart of a created being, the one now known as Satan, presented itself in the form of self-exaltation. We spoke before about the I wills of Satan. This is found in Isaiah 14, 
13 to 14. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into, into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The sin of the devil, which came from pride in his heart, can be summed up in one sentence. Not thy will, but mine be done. There is nothing more devilish than seeking one's own exaltation, one's own will instead of God's will. And the judgment of the devil is also found in Isaiah chapter 14, in verse 15. You shall be brought down to, to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So think about this, and we've talked about this, but I'm going to bring it home because we're in this area. Satan sought to exalt himself. Because of the pride of his heart and the hypocrite sought to exalt himself, receiving glory and praise of men. Satan's exaltation, his self-exaltation resulted in him being brought low, or it will be. Satan's still in the heavenlies. He will be brought down, and he'll be brought down to the depths of Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit, because he sought to exalt himself. Self. And that is the law. That is the law of the universe. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. You will be brought low. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Someone said the way up is down. The way down is up. Now, that's not the way it is in Satan's kingdom. The way up is to exalt yourself. But in God's kingdom, you want to go up? Go down. You want to go down? Go up. He'll bring you down. And that's what we're dealing with here. Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, Whoever exalts himself will be abased, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And remember, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, as we talked about. And we, as Christians, we want to be Christ-like. We want to be like him. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. I'm going to read this to you. And this is what Paul told the Philippians. And I want you to think about the hypocrite. I want you to think about what the Lord said about them. I want you to think about what the devil did, exalting himself. Now, this is what Paul says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Humble yourself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't be self-centered. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know what his mind was? If you want it, the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. Who being in the form of God, you can say the image of God. Jesus is the express image of the person of God. He is the invisible God made visible. But did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Being God, he was equal with God. He could have said, I'm God, and sat upon the throne. Everything that Satan said he would do, Jesus had the right to do. He could have exalted himself. He could have sat on the throne of God. He had the right. But he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the 
point of death. Notice Jesus humbled himself. He wasn't humbled. God's not going to humble you. Well, you don't want God to humble you. He will. But don't ask him to. Humble yourself. Fall on the rock and be broken. Don't let the rock fall on you. Okay, I had the rock fall on me. You don't want the rock falling on you. And it being found in that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has what? He humbled himself. He went down. All the way down. You can't go any lower than the death of the cross. And what did God do? Therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Why? Because he humbled himself. That's what that word therefore means. God has highly exalted him and given him the name. Hashim. The name. That's what they call God. Hashim. The name. Which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in closing thy word tonight, Satan sought to exalt himself, grasping, trying to be like God. Jesus was in the form of God, and it was not robbery for him to be equal with God, but chose to humble himself. And because he humbled himself, he was highly exalted. And if you look at it, the higher the devil sought to be exalted, the lower he was brought down. And the lower that Jesus humbled himself, the higher he was exalted. James 4.10 gives us the promise. Humble yourself. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So when we fast in secret, humbling ourselves before God, we are denying the desires of our flesh. We are humbling ourselves before God. We are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And can I tell you, that will get God's attention. Prayer and fasting and doing good works out of faith, by faith, working through love. Those good works won't save you. Good works alone won't save you. Otherwise, the hypocrite would be saved. The hypocrite did good works. The hypocrite prayed. The hypocrite fasted. The hypocrite, hypocrite paid tithes of everything. Cumin and anise and every, everything else. But none of those good works saved him because God didn't hear his prayers. Faith working through love. Go into your chamber alone and say, Lord, I believe that you are. And that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that you are. We believe that you're real. We understand, Lord, that there is a living God. We understand, oh Lord, that you see us in the secret places. When we're on our own. When we're in our prayer chamber, Lord. You hear our prayers. And we pray to you, Lord, desiring to do your will, not our will. Lord, and if no one ever knows my name, but they know your name, then I am content. Lord, if no one ever hears the name of Ricky Taylor, if no one ever talks about me or slaps me on the back or tells me how good I am, Lord, as long as they say, to God be the glory, the power and the glory is yours, Lord, forever and ever. Amen. We love you, Lord Jesus.
The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I 